All right, everybody, welcome to Kafaru Cast. I've got Frank across from me, and uh, we have, uh, we always say a special guest, but this truly is a special guest. This is uh, someone I'm sure uh, everyone has heard about in one way, shape, form, or fashion, and uh, that is Eddie Gallagher. Uh, Eddie, what's happening, man? Not a man. I appreciate you uh, having me on and uh, just giving giving me a chance to speak and be on this platform. And uh, I'm glad that uh, you know Mike Glover had uh, connected us. It's uh, awesome. No, it's good. Um, it, it's kind of weird how all this um, get played out. I mean, obviously the news. Um, you know, for those who don't know, I guess I should give some context. Uh, Eddie was uh, falsely accused of, of of war crimes, and I'm not going to go into great deal with that. It was a, a shit show and. I had been fortunate enough when all this was going on to have friends in the community that I could ask. And, and the, the, the quick response was, uh, you know, basically he's, he's getting effed over. He's getting screwed. And I had heard, uh, you know, different versions of the story, which were all pretty close to the same thing, that you were a solid dude and, and old school seal came up a, a lot. And obviously I'm not in the community, uh, just friends. And so as everything kind of played out, um, I had met some other, you know, friends of yours later on after everything happened and you got out and, and so on and so forth that, you know, kind of confirmed um, what what I had, had. Well, I didn't read your book. I listened to your book. Um, everything in the book uh-huh. was pretty much the same thing. I'm not much of a reader. So, man, I kind of give if you don't mind. Um, I know you're not a huge bragger, but your history, um, you, you've got a hell of a career, um, you know, a little bit about that and then obviously kind of dive into what happened or, or, or give people some context to it. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, you know, so I came in, uh, the military in 99, um, joined the Navy, uh, pretty much right out of high school. I, I took like a year, tried to do college and, uh, realized that that wasn't for me. Uh, so I went and listed in the Navy and I did my first four years as a, uh, corpsman, which is a medic, uh, with the Marine Corps. Um, so I was stationed in, uh, um, Jacksonville, North Carolina, Camp Lejeune, um, did, uh, some multiple deployments with them. Uh, I ended up, um, screening and, uh, being in a sniper platoon, uh, which was in one eight, uh, which then I got a chance to go to sniper school. Um, this was all, all before I went to, uh, Bud. So it, it was, uh, I had, I was very blessed in, uh, a lot of the schools I got to go to when I was with the Marines. Um, and then, uh, Around two, 2004 uh, is when I went to uh, Buds to uh, try to become a SEAL. And uh, I think that's where, I, you know, uh, we have mutual friends um, who I went to Buds with and uh, ended up uh, graduating class 252, um, went to SQT, did all that rigmarole, went to 18 Delta, um, which is a special operations uh, medic. Uh, at That school was about seven to eight months. And then ended up checking into uh, Team One eventually, and that's uh, my career just uh, went from there. Um, just like any other typical SEAL, it's you know once you uh, start going, it's the train. The train picks up and doesn't stop. You know you just keep deploying. Um, I did multiple deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan um, until my final deployment was to Iraq in 2017, uh, Mosul, um, which was we were to clear ISIS. Uh, out of Mosul, um, uh, President Trump had just taken over and, uh, you know, taken command. And, uh, that's that's pretty pertinent because, um, you know, during when Obama was president, we weren't making any moves in Mosul. We were just sort of watching uh, ISIS take over and not, not do anything. But once Trump took office, it was, the orders were given, the gloves are off, like annihilate them. And that's what we spent uh, our seven months doing is just clearing through Mosul. Um, and it was a pretty chaotic deployment. Um, it was good. It was a good deployment. Uh, it was one that you would, you would want to be a part of. But uh, fortunately, I had uh, about three, three or four guys in my platoon who just, um, I don't think were ready for it or were just up to the task of doing the job. And they, uh, you know, decided to blame the leadership, which was me, uh, for putting them in dangerous situations as they call it. And then, uh, you know, the, their escalate, they, they started accusing me and trying to ruin my reputation, uh, after that deployment, uh, petty little things like, uh, you know, I was too dangerous, um, that I was a thief, uh, 
and none of the stuff that they had, they had they were accusing me of had any um, validity to it. You know, the the uh, command was asking them for proof of anything, and they, of course they had nothing, and um, they just kept escalating their allegations. And about uh, six to seven months after that deployment, they had said that I killed a ISIS prisoner, um, stabbed him to death. Uh, and so that's where the command... I don't know they they believed them or and they told them to uh go to NCIS and report it. And so once they did that, they, that's where it, this whole story went off the rails. Uh there was a corrupt NCIS agent named Joe Warpinski who took the case and decided that he was going to make a career out of it. Um you know, that he could he could bag a Navy SEAL and put him away for life, that would be a career maker for him. So he went into it uh not investigating it but more with a uh he had a prosecution formed, and all he did was take information that would help his prosecution out. Um, and uh, eventually, they threw me in military prison um, for pretty much nine months until my trial. Uh, I wasn't charged with anything. They didn't have anything on me. They just threw me in there so they could uh, further their their narrative, um, and I could not. I couldn't defend myself uh, while I was in. But unfortunately for them, they weren't. You know, they didn't uh, take my wife into account. Stood up and started fighting back and telling the truth about what was really going on. And, um, I think you know, as everybody saw, this thing blew up, uh, became like an international story, um, and especially when the uh, president got involved. And um, you know, the, he got involved, pretty much saying, "Let me out of." He uh, did a tweet to let me out of prison, um, so I could properly defend myself before I went to trial. Uh, you know, he didn't say I was. Guilty or not guilty, he just said, hey, let this guy have due process, which you would think <clears throat> everybody deserves. Um, but once he got involved because of the nature of our country at the time, you know, half the country hated President Trump, it, it, even, it blew up even more. And then half the country ended up hating me uh, because he had, you know, tweeted about me. So it became very, very political at that point. And even up to the, you know, up to the trial, it it was a it was very it was a surreal experience. Um, you know, it it no longer became whether I was innocent or guilty. It was us. It just became like we're going to keep attacking this guy because Trump had backed him. Uh, and uh, but we got through it. I mean, it, it was a long, long road. Um, but you know, we stood up and fought for what was right, and uh, ended up coming out victorious in the end. Um, but that's, I guess, the summation of it. Uh, there's a lot that goes into you know the whole being in prison and everything that happened up to the trial. I, I was going to say that's probably a good time to <clears throat> plug your book, which was an eye opener. In fact, I was enthralled enough that I left that bad boy on when Frank and I and David were hiking into uh, a mule deer spot to scout. We listened to it on the way down on the drive, which was quite a ways or way up, I guess. And uh, they caught kind of the middle of it. And uh, But either way, the book is called The Man in the Arena, and it is actually read by you and your wife. Um, uh, you you you, yep. you actually performed it yourself, correct? In your in your family. Yeah. So uh, my the book, you know, I I mainly have I may have all the chapters in it. Uh, my wife, you know, has some. My kids have some. I have friends uh, that I had do some chapters, and everybody uh, read their own chapters. But uh, yeah, I, I worked on that book all last year. Uh, and that was it was a very hard thing for me to do because uh, I mean coming from the community that I came from that's and just the way I was raised in that community you know I was writing a book is always like the last thing you should do and talking about yourself is the last thing you should do so but I knew this story needed to get out um, I knew the truth needed to come out because there was such a narrative uh, you know about me through the whole through the whole uh, trial and even leading up to the trial that was you know put out by the media. Um, you know, that I was like this psychopath warmonger and, uh, you know, they, they really just destroyed my character in every which way they could. Um, and which was a crazy experience to go through, but I knew I was like, this is the only way I can actually put my side of the story out because even after I was acquitted of everything, that narrative still stood like people still thought I was like this, you know, crazy psychopath. And, uh, I just like, all right, well, then I'll, I'll write the book of it, exactly what happens. Um, and here it is, you know, take it or leave it. Um, the cool thing that I did with the book, though, that, you know, I, I came up with the idea in the middle of it was uh, I put the QR codes um, in there. So 
I pretty much put all the evidence they had against me. I put in all the NCIS interviews um, of all the accusers um, that you can listen to all the trial audio. Um, I wanted to be as transparent as possible because, uh, you know, after getting smeared for a certain amount of years, you're like, dude, I have nothing to hide. I'm like, here it is. Um, you guys can make your own decision. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's what's, uh, the book is doing really well. And I think that's a, the main, main reason it is, is because we are just being as transparent as possible and being like, Hey man, like you can judge me all you want, but here's what really happened. Well, and, and I definitely encourage people to, uh, I mean, and I've listed it before on my Q and A's to, uh, to listen to the book, not just to, to learn more about, uh, you and obviously what you went through and, and, and it, it, it to, um, it's, yeah, it's a fucking eye opener, man. It could happen. I mean, obviously when I say happen to anyone, not very many people are seals. <clears throat> Something like that could happen to, to anyone. And, oh, um, yeah. You, you, you and I had talked like I, I've got uh, where Frank and I have Evan Hafer from Black Rifle coming on the podcast who's going through a schmear campaign right now where, you know, American people just dive on the bandwagon and start throwing stones in the courtyard without having all the, the info and the, the press can turn shit to their narrative at the drop of a hat and people believe it or don't research. I was lucky enough to have friends in the community to ask, obviously, during this time to, to find out like, hey, what what's going on? But if if you look at it from the way they presented it, you were shooting at women, at old people. Uh, you'd stabbed a guy to death. Um, and then when it when the truth came yeah. out, you hadn't done any of those things um, yeah. a, a, at all. You were proven innocent and people forget they don't even listen to the part where you were innocent they just move on and, and and keep following the same narrative. It's it's crazy, and I hope I never have to go through that shit myself. Oh yeah, that's. I mean, that's one thing we were saying while we were going through it. Is you know, my wife who was out there, uh, you know, fighting against the media and the government, trying to get the truth out. She was telling people, she's like, the scary part of this whole thing is like this could happen to you too. Like if this can happen to us, it can happen to you. Like they can. They literally just turned me into a monster overnight by you know, coming up with these uh, crazy accusations. So, you know, they first charged me with, uh, for killing the ISIS terrorists. That was like the only charge I had. And they were, they were uh, calling it premeditated murder. Um, they were trying to put me away for life. Um, that's, that's the sentence they were going for was life with no parole for now, killing this ISIS. Make sure people understand they had zero evidence of this, as I understand yeah. it. No. No exactly, body. Yeah. Somebody no, I, deleted the film that would have exonerated you from, from, from as I understand. Yeah, it. I mean, they had and they had the knife uh, that, you know, that I supposedly used and they they went and tested it. And, you know, there was no DNA, no blood, no anything on the knife. Um, literally, they had no evidence to support their uh, their prosecution, but they just kept pushing forward. And that's where the other two uh, murders come into come into play. We went to a. Uh, Article 32, which is uh, the civilian equivalent of a grand jury. So you go there and the uh, judge pretty much makes a decision like, okay, this is going to go, this can go ahead to court martial or you guys should just drop this case. Um, That's where they brought on the other two murder charges with no, no, no like reasoning behind or no evidence. Um, They were just like, oh yeah, we want to charge him for killing a, murdering a little girl and murdering an old man on Father's Day. I mean, it, we, I was blown away. I was like, how are they able to just say this and it happens? Um, but this is the UCMJ, which is the Uniform Code of Military Justice, has a completely different set of rules than civilian court. Like if you have to go through the civilian route, they can pretty much do whatever they want. And that's that's what we found out firsthand. You know, the judge at my Article 32 actually denied um those two murder charges. He was like, there's nothing to back these. So no, I don't see going forward, you know, going ahead and charging them with this, but this is what people don't understand. The judge, the judge in the military court really has no say. My command are the ones who, uh, added those two charges. Um, they're the ones like, Nope, leave them on there, charge him with everything. Uh, so it was a real, um, eye opener for me just to see how, how political things can get, especially when you're dealing with admirals and um, and they're making these decisions to further their career and protect the institution. And they'll throw one of their own out um, and hang them out to dry, which 
that's exactly what happened to me. Um, they were like, yeah, we're going to hang this guy out to dry to protect the institution. Um, so we don't look bad, but you know, unfortunately it didn't work out for them because we fought back. But, um, yeah, that's, well, yeah. Let, let me put this into context for people listening in. Cause one of the things people don't realize if, if, uh, someone looked at my text messages today, right. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not talking about combat, just reading my text messages, how many things would be taken out of context? So let's say in a, in a, in a, in a hunting situation, mule deer, if I texted Frank said, Frank, can you see this deer? And I text something back. That's like, I think I'm going to ground check him to see what he scores. Meaning I'm going to shoot him to see if I want him. And it's kind of an inside joke that could be taken out of context. If, if we got in trouble or somebody brought something up and somebody saw that text it would allude to the fact of I'm totally okay with whacking a deer and seeing it on the ground to see what it scores, <laughs> yeah. even though it's a joke, right? It's it's an internal that gets said all the time. You had had um, one of the things they kept bringing up is you had sent a text out that said, "Crazy story, got this one with my hunting knife being a a smartass." Um, yeah. And, and the moment I heard that, I'm like, "Oh, yeah." That's probably I should really pay attention to what I text because I could totally send something <laughs> stupid like that. But you were exonerated of all of that. You had just sent it to be a smart ass, as I understand it. Yeah. So, I, you know, that was uh, one of my best friends where he was um, I texting me while I was on deployment, like, hey, how's it going? How's the deployment going? Because he was hearing stories of, you know, it was pretty uh, busy and chaotic and we were getting a lot of work. And so I send him that picture just as a joke, like, oh, it's going awesome. Like, got this one with my hunting knife, meaning, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of good work over here. Uh, it was a complete joke, um, which, you know, he took it as. And But, yeah, once they uh, <laughs> they go through your phone and they can take little bits and pieces of out of your text messages and just completely take what – and this is what the media does as well. Um, and, you know, this is what, exactly what the New York Times just did to Evan Hafer. They take the context – completely away and just read that little line. So it makes, it makes it look like, you know, you're, you're guilty or like, Oh, this guy's sending these, you know, crazy texts. But it's like, if you, my, my lawyer brought it up in trial, like, dude, read the texts before then. Like, this is a big joke. Like, but they refused to add any context because that's what, uh, you know, that's what makes you look guilty. That's, you know, and you can read anything off in the trial. And I, I saw him do it, you know, these joking texts, but they read it as, you know, like dead serious and there's no context behind it. So of course, you know, when the jury's hearing this, you're just hoping like they actually have, uh, they're doing some critical thinking of their own. I mean like, okay, I, I don't think he meant that, but you know, that's, that's the way it works from a listener listening in. I mean, think about that, Frank, if someone read your text right now, what would you be guilty of if taken out of context? Like I send, goofy shit all the time so god forbid everybody looked through my content or my 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 communication between friends because when you are really good friends with someone i could text frank in the middle of the night and say hey dude i'm cold will you come hop in the sleeping bag with me on a backpack hunt <laughs> obviously that is two dudes talking shit but if you read that out loud to a jury not that this is the same, but I mean, you get to, you know, the point of, of anything can be taken out of context, if especially if you don't add the 30 text before the 300 after or know the, the friendship. And I say stupid shit like that all the time. Like, I mean, I probably have sent that, like, Frank, I'm cold. Will you come spoon with me? That doesn't mean I want yeah. him to come spoon with me, but it is funny. It, it gets the point of cross that I'm freezing. And yeah, you guys are pretty freaking desensitized. Obviously, you had been in combat how many times before the Missoula, uh deployment? Uh, that was my ninth combat. Well, there you go. I'd say uh, you're real desensitized at that point. So w what some people would take, you know, they're not seeing the civilian world isn't seeing what you're seeing to where you do probably build up a pretty good wall. Um, yeah. You know, around yourself. Yeah, you for sure do. I mean, you, you know, it's it's one of the, uh, whatever you want to call it, side effects of the job is, yeah, you do become desensitized to violence, to seeing people, you know, get, seeing people get killed uh, or even killing people. I mean, it's it's part of the job. And, um, 
that uh, one way that we get around it is by humor. You know, we'll, we make light of all these what, what can be considered traumatic situations. We will joke about them because that's how we get through it. Um, and yeah, I think some people look at that like, oh, you guys, that's disgusting or that's sick that you guys can joke about it. It's like, well, when, when you're around it for 20 years straight, um, you, you go ahead and you tell me how you, how I should go about it. But, uh, until then, like, this is the way we're going to deal, deal with it. Um, it's, uh, it was definitely an eye opener. And I think that's, what's, that's what was crazy about my case is it was an eye opener for both sides. I mean, even that the people that there was people that had no idea that we were still out there, you know, getting after war, it. pretty much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I think for, for civilians, when they saw this and they're like, oh my gosh, like he's posing with a dead body or this, you know, sent these text messages. It like it really showed that people are so out of touch with what the military has been doing for the past 20 years. Well, especially the military at your level, um, which I think people forget um, uh, maybe about that as well. And obviously I'm a, I, I have been a defender of yours far before the conversation a week ago about doing the, the podcast. And when I, when I say that, I'm always um, one of those guys that no matter if it's, you know, in life with hunting or anything else, when somebody gets accused of something of first, all right, have you walked in their shoes? Do you, do you understand what's going on? How much of this is true? How much is taken out of context? And, you know, rather than being innocent until proven guilty, you were guilty until proven innocent. Then you were proven innocent and they still went after you, even after being proven innocent of everything they were throwing at you. And if you listen to the book, which I encourage people to do, some of the claims were pretty, when I heard the, uh, the trace, um, I could see the bullet trace. I was like, <laughs> the vapor trail, yeah. the vapor trail. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, even from behind someone in a spotter, it's hard to pick that up, let alone from 150 or 250 yards to the left. It's impossible. So, um, yeah. um wait. I can go into that for sure. Uh, you know, that's <laughs> these guys. So, it's very, it's really embarrassing to like really get to the origin of how this happened. Cause it started off with just a bunch of petty accusations. Um, these four guys, once they made that claim that I, they're like, Oh, he, he murdered a ISIS prisoner. They, they did not expect it to go that far. They did not expect it to go as far as it did. All they were really trying to do was ruin my reputation. Um, and you could see that as we started getting closer to trial, these guys' lies kept getting bigger and bigger because the prosecution and NCIS were like, no, you guys are going forward with this. Like, there's no turning back now, and you need to get on board with putting Eddie Gallagher away. So their lies just kept escalating as this went on, and they became more and more ridiculous. And, I mean, I was seeing all of their interviews while I was locked up. I was allowed to see the evidence that was being stacked up against me. So I, I could listen to all their interviews, um, pretty much see everything they were saying. and I was. I was blown away sitting in a jail cell. Like, how are these guys able to say this stuff? And none of it even makes sense. And I told people, you know, all my friends were like super worried, obviously, uh, my family, you know, before we went to trial, they're like, oh, how do you think it's going to go? And I'm like, if these guys get up on the stand and spew the same bullshit that they're spewing to NCIS, I'm like, everybody's going to see exactly, you know, <laughs> they're going to see the truth and they're going to see how ridiculous this is. Um, so, you know, during the trial, the vapor trail thing that Dylan delay who had who he's the one who said it had never said anything like that before. Um, not in any of his interviews. Um, so I think he was grasping at straws because they were like, well, you weren't even in the same building with him. How did you even know it was him who shot? And that's, he blurted that out. He's like, Oh, I saw the vapor trails. And this is from, you know, 250, 200 yards away at another building. He's saying he can see the vapor trails from my gun hitting hitting targets or hitting you know people, uh, which, as you know, you just said is like that's impossible if not too nearly impossible. Um, so I think the jury, I mean the jury, which was full of Marines, you could see the reaction when he said that they were like, "What the heck?" And then I mean he wasn't the only one who said something like that. Craig Miller uh, got up there and you know he had never said. Um, that there was blood all over the place before he all he said was like oh i saw him stab him but when he was on the stand 
he said, oh, blood was spurting out of his neck like baby vomit, which he never said those words before. And that ended up, you know, helping us because I was like, there's no blood on me anywhere in the picture, uh, anywhere on the knife. Um, so that, none of that makes sense. Um, and I think, you know, that's exactly what happened. The jury saw through all of their BS. And I, it, uh, it was really, for me, it was embarrassing <laughs> to watch them get up there and actually say these things and like go forward with their, with their lies. I'm like, I'm like, hey, kudos to them for, I guess, sticking to it. But you look like a bunch of morons at the end. Um, and, the, you know, the media saw it. Um, I mean, the media was sitting behind us in the courtroom making comments like, how did this even get to this point? How are these guys? I mean, most of them were saying, like, how are these guys even Navy SEALs? Like, this is pathetic. Um, well, but, didn't didn't you win or or I don't know if win is the right word. You weren't you nominated as like, um, I, well, I, actually, I don't know what it's in. I was in the Army uh, a platoon sergeant or team sergeant or whatever <clears> it is. <throat> for that deployment weren't you wasn't that got, considered an amazing deployment no one was injured and you guys just crushed it when you were there yeah uh we got so what we fell under uh, a marsoc command which is the marines uh special forces um we worked for them that whole deployment and you know we had a great relationship with them uh we were they were really uh pleased with the work that we were doing and and the uh how much we wanted to work so yeah, that they called my command, which was Team Seven, and told them like, "Hey, you know, they did a kick-ass job." Um, and then I got, um, I was given num- number one platoon chief out of the team um, on my evaluations. Uh, you know, it's it's funny, like, but once you get accused of something, and this is what I found out: all of that is gone. None of that matters. I mean, everything I had done in my career up to that point, it might as well like not existed because they were like, you are guilty and that's it. We're coming after you. Um, and they were, they pretty much, I mean, they had to make up stuff to paint me in a negative light, um, which was disgusting to watch. So as you're saying that, and I know this is not a good, uh, comparison, but I, obviously you are, uh, you know, going to be one of the more mentally and physically tough people, you know, on, on the planet, just from what you've went through, through training and everything else, in comparison, how hard, hard was it sitting in that seal or in that, that cell w- watching your name get destroyed after all of that hard work <clears throat> uh, mentally in comparison to, you know, more, you know, going back to, to buds or different, maybe harder deployments or, or different training? I, I would assume that that was probably more crushing than anything you'd ever, you know, gone through. Plus, you're just sitting there stewing about everything and you can do nothing about it. Yeah, uh, it was definitely... It was tough. Uh, the first couple months in there, um, yeah, I had I was having a rough time. I mean, I, I wasn't. Um, I had no idea when I was in there just how big this thing had gotten. Um, you know, I they um, they only have one TV uh, in general population where I was, and they all they did was play CNN. Um, and you weren't allowed. You weren't because allowed that's to, the best news network to watch. Exactly, Fuck. It's, <laughs> it's like a form of torture in there. Believe me, it's all done on purpose. Uh, but yeah, I had I had no clue just how how big it had gotten. But I, what was really hard for me to deal with was seeing um, all the evidence that they were stacking against me and seeing how untrue and like how false all of it was. But it doesn't matter. It's uh you know the the, the binder they gave me. Um, it said you know Chief Eddie Gallagher versus the United States. I mean that is a heavy heavy thing to uh, to read and then to know like. I'm the United States is coming after me um, after I've given 20 years of my life to them serving this country. Uh, it was difficult, but I think, you know, because of the training I had, I mean, that does, that did um, have some, some effects to where I can, you know, I just adapted to my situation when I was in there. I was like, okay, this is, this is where I'm at. I'm going to have to adapt and survive in here and come up. And I just pretty much gave myself a routine. I mean, I would work out in my cell in the morning and then I would read uh, and then we were allowed an outside of uh, yard time at night. Um, so I pretty much formed a little workout group of prisoners in there. And like, I just did stuff to keep me busy to <clears throat> not let my mind focus on all the negative because there was so much of it at the time. I was like, if I just focus on all the negative, I'm going to drive myself crazy. Uh, and I also, um, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a, um, 
you know, I have a huge uh, faith component. And so I, you know, got down on my hands and knees uh, about two months in and just gave everything to God. And I was like, dude, I don't, because at that point I was like, I'm not in control of anything. This is, this is insane what's happening. And I was like, you just take this from me. Uh, uh, and whatever your will is, I'm, you know, I have complete faith. It's going to, I have faith in you that you're going to do right by me. And, um, that, that was huge for me just to, it felt like the weight, a weight came off my shoulders when I gave it to him. And I mean, he carried me along, you know, the rest of the time in there, uh, was just a, helped me have a good positive attitude while I was in there. I mean, at times it was hard, believe me, I, I went through some, some dark, dark spaces here and there, um, because you're on an emotional roller coaster uh, the whole time. We'd have good weeks and bad weeks. Um, but you know, that's what really got us through was, you know, God, um, and my family. And then, you know, all the people that were sticking up for me as well. Um, you know, my wife got, you know, half, half the American people got behind us and were like, this is BS what's going on. Um, so that, I mean, that all of that really helped me get through, but it, you know, it wasn't easy. Uh, we're trained to, to deal with a lot of, uh, situations. Uh, but I don't think there's, I tell people, you know, especially I tell the guys, I'm like, there's no training when your own government is coming after you and they throw you in a jail cell. Um, you sort of have to, I had to learn, learn my way through that and how to deal with it. Uh, but it was, but that's the thing, like any adverse situations like that, you can choose to either go into a hole and feel sorry for yourself where it's like, dude, I'm gonna grow from this and learn. Um, and that's what I chose to do. I was like, I'm going to fight back and learn how to navigate this. Um, which I think any, that's what any seal would do. So kind of, I'm assuming, you know, through, um, you know, with what, with what you had been doing, obviously for, you know, for almost 20 years, you know, a lot of stuff was kind of, um, boxed up and filed away and uh you know if it started to maybe come out you just apply more weight to the top to keep it kind of jammed down. bill burr talks about <laughs> why men have uh he's a comedian if you're not familiar oh dude i love bill burr bill okay burr we're, we're gonna get along great so. so you remember he talks about like uh you know men at 40 dying of a heart attack because they couldn't <laughs> hug a puppy or tell somebody <laughs> they loved him so i'd imagine you had um a lot of things tucked into the um, to the briefcase and just kept applying more pressure and weight. When you were in uh, confinement or when you were starting to write the book or afterwards, how much of those demons were, and I mean, obviously, I don't know if comfortable. I mean, how much that shit was coming out like hand over fist of like all of the things you'd bottled up for the last 20 years? Plus, plus your childhood, I guess, uh, wasn't, I guess yeah. you were kind of a little shithead as a kid, weren't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was, I was a, uh, you know, I, I was, I grew up an army brat, uh, moved around every two years. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I had, I always made friends everywhere I went, but I always, it was always a uh, wild crowd. Like I never, I made friends with dudes who like to get in, you know, get into some shit. And, but I knew, but all of them were all loyal. Like I always had friends that would have my back no matter what. Um, but yeah, I, I had, uh, once, once I got out, um, I retired and decided to sit down and actually write the book. That's when, yeah, all the, uh, everything that I had shoved into a box, um, started coming out. Um, so, and, and that was a good thing. I'm glad it happened. Uh, it, you know, I think all of us have to go through something like that. Um, you know, eventually you're gonna have to deal with all the shit that you've been packing away for however many, however many years, but yeah, it came out all last year, uh, as I was writing the book when I really had to delve into all the details of what had actually happened, um, during that two, you know, that two year period, but also my career. Um, I, it's just one of those things, like I never fully processed or dealt with, uh, you know, my friends getting killed. Um, you know, I had brothers that we had to, had to bury through my career. Um, I just, you know, when that happened, my career, I just used that as fuel to get back over there and do the job again. I was like, okay, this is, this is part of the job. Uh, but I never really processed any of that. So it, it was good. Last year was a lot of uh, growth, uh, a lot of, uh, processing everything. Um, and you know, it's, I just, I was talking to somebody the other day. I'm like, you know, I probably around three months ago is when I, I really started feeling like myself again. I'm like, okay, I, I feel 
back to normal. Um, I, I, uh, by no means am I comparing what anything I have, have done to what you've done, but I was, <laughs> I've got a bit of a temper problem, right? And occasionally that comes out mostly from my, <laughs> my childhood. And so one of the things I realized talking recently to a doctor friend of ours is, is uh, I went in there for, to help me sleep. Right. And, and I have some head injuries, same, same kind of crap. I'm sure you, you're, you're dealing with, but, but you're obviously probably much worse. And she was asking me questions about my childhood and I started to get a bit tense and I was kind of cross. I didn't even realize I was doing it. And I'm trying to open up to this lady, which I've never done. And I'm like, I got fucking problems. I got to, I got to work on this. I think Bill Burr was right. I've been applying more and more pressure to, to bottle things up. And, and so when I had kind of, when I was listening to your book and, and some of the things you said, I'm like, man, maybe men in general, I, you know, and I, you know, you never want to show weakness as a man or most men don't, or I don't think they do, but I th- would think if I had to get stuck in prison for nine months, the amount of shit going through my mind, I mean, a 14 day backpack hunt is hard enough with all the things going through your mind and, you know, wrong, wrongs you've done or, or things you may have should have done better. I was like, man, when this dude wrote the book, holy shit, what came out of that box? Like that had to have been a rough box to, to open, you know, so could just you were doing. Oh, yeah, it was. Um, you know, it's it's crazy because uh, while, while I was doing it, <laughs> I I, uh, I have a closet up my a big walk-in closet uh, in my room. And that's where I was writing the book most of the time. So I would come up and sit in there and I, yeah, I would go into like this depression, uh, just dealing with all these emotions. And I might, my wife and kids could see it. I come downstairs and they're like, you know, you're a completely different person. Uh, or you're, I'm just walking around with this cloud over me. And I, I realized I'm like, dude, I don't want to be like this. Uh, or my, my wife and kids don't deserve this. Like, I need to handle my shit, like, so I can get back to being a normal, you know, feel normal again. So I, I mean, I spent last year as well doing all sorts of treatments um, to uh, get back to baseline, I guess. Um, you know, I did that H, uh, HBOT, which is like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, about 65 treatments of those, um, which, which helped me. But there was still this like underlying thing I had going on. And it wasn't until I went and did a uh, pretty, um, Pretty uh crazy but awesome treatment. It's a ibogaine. Um, it's a psychedelic. Uh, I went down to Mexico and did that, and it was funny what you you had brought that up because uh um about the childhood stuff and dealing with family, you know, growing up and having a lot of childhood trauma. I mean, that's all that medicine showed me was it just cleared out everything from my childhood. Like, and uh, I did it showed me nothing from my career or, or the two years of of craziness that we went through. It was all childhood stuff. And I felt, you know, after coming out of that, I felt like a million bucks. I was like, dude, that was the majority of all my issues is from childhood. It's weird not to detract from your story or the book, but I think this is important for the people that listen into this. Um, that, um, I, I think it's just difficult for, for men to realize there's things that happened years ago that you don't realize that are shaping who you are, today and that may mm-hmm. not be good who you've shaped <laughs> shaped yourself to to be in some ways it may be good in other ways it may not be i'm assuming with the psychedelic thing was that like young guns where you were in the spirit world um and uh, seeing chickens oh and, yeah it was, um, <laughs> how, how, how crazy was that not, it was so it's it's very um it's treated with complete reverence um so there's a uh, another seal started it um marcus capone him and his wife started this program it's called vets um where they fly mostly special operators down to mexico um to do this treatment um but it's not something that you just go do like oh i'm gonna go try this i mean you really have to prepare for it um they sign you a counselor about a month beforehand um they talk you know they pretty much talk you through like how to get through it a lot of breathing a lot of meditation um, so once, because they tell you like, once you take this medicine, it's going to be an intense ride for about 10 hours. Um, and they don't, they don't really get in into details of what it's going to do because everybody's different that takes it. Um, but I, I took it seriously and I prepared a month of, you know, in advance. And so when I went and did it, I had a great experience. Um, you know, I, it showed me exactly what I needed to see. Um, it resolved 
uh, exactly what I needed to resolve through, you know, my childhood. Um, and it just sort of gave me a platform. Once I got done, it gave me a, a baseline of like, okay, this is how I'm supposed to feel. I mean, this, I feel completely, uh, in balance right now. I'm, I'm more balanced right now than I ever have been. Um, you know, and once you get back into the real world, when you come back home, you can fall out of balance easily with all the crap that goes on in this world, but at least you know how you're supposed to feel. So I can bring myself back to that when I need to. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's actually, it was pretty amazing. Um, I, I yeah, I, it, that. Uh, that sounds crazy. I, um, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this mostly cause I, I have to work on, on, on my own, um, issues. And so I thought, man, I got to bring that up today. Cause again, like, you know, it's hard to describe like the emotions, especially with your career, I would imagine as you're, you're unraveling the giant bag of snakes, writing a book, thinking of all the different things. I would imagine there's probably some resentment to a certain degree, obviously against maybe current command or, or, or whatever of, man, I just spent the last 20 years of my life defending the country and I'm getting shit on for this. And then as you're unraveling all of the things you've done, it's just compounding one thing after another, after sacrifices, missing your kids' birthdays. I mean, name it, whatever your wife's birthdays. Um, I, was that as bad as I'm thinking it was for you? I mean, I know you mentioned it a second ago, but was it one of those things where you said you were coming downstairs? Was that what was going on in your mind? Like, you know, when you, and you were in a bad mood, was just thinking of all the sacrifices you made and how you got screwed over or a combination of stuff? I'd say that was definitely uh, a part of it. Uh, it was, I was holding on to, yeah, a lot of uh, resentment towards what certain individuals had done to uh, my family. Um, just the way that, you know, certain members of my command um, really turned, not only turned their backs on me, but also went after me, uh, even though they knew the truth. Like, there were certain individuals that knew I was innocent that still kept coming after me regardless because they were either just following orders or they were protecting themselves. Um, so it was, it was definitely hard to, uh, to try and, uh, navigate that when I got out. Um, you know, I'm, I think I'm, I'm a natural fighter. Like I want to, like, if you mess with me, like, or my family, then I'm going to physically do something to you. Like, that's just the way I was raised. Um, uh, what now I, I couldn't do anything like that. Right. So I'm, I'm thrown into this public spotlight. Um, there's, I have no way of, um, I don't know what the word is, but like getting back at these people. Um, no, no retaliation. Yeah, no retaliation. Stuck in a cell. Yeah, yeah. So I was. That was definitely hard to deal with. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. Like I didn't have resentment for my career. I don't resent my twenty years that I did. I mean, I. That's the thing is like I got to work with like the best human beings this planet has to offer man like these dudes i got to stand alongside with were i mean they're giants and i i just felt grateful that i got to do that job um you know going to war is a privilege um it's not something everybody gets to do um and i'm grateful that you know i got to do it through my career and got to be with my best friends while doing it um you know the the sacrifices that we make as far as like you said uh missing birthdays, missing, you know, huge family events. Um, you know, my, my wife and kids knew exactly what I was doing and they believed it was a righteous job as well. So like we all knew it was worth it, um, to do this job. So I, I didn't really have any resentment towards that. I just had more resentment towards the people that were coming after me and my family. And, you know, the, the one line I think, and the guys who accused me brought this up to NCIS. They're like, the one line you do not cross with him, which will make him crazy, is if you mess with his family. Um, and that's exactly what they. What? I just, I don't I I don't want to give away too much of the book, which is why I haven't talked about it. They purposefully yanked your two sons with what they what they had ARs pointed at them and yanked them out of the house in their underwear, yeah. knowing you and your wife weren't home. I would say that was a direct oh, it was in your face to try to piss you off. Yeah, they were taunting me. I mean, even that. So they had me locked up um, while they did that. They had me in an interrogation room. Um, they knew my wife wasn't home and they pretty much laid siege to my home. I mean, they had about 25 uh, agents there fully kitted up um, like they were going to war. Uh, pulled my eight year old son out and my uh, just he had just turned 18. Um, 
pulled both of them out at gunpoint in their underwear. And I had no clue this was going on. I was in an interrogation room. And when they, when they let me out of the interrogation room that day, they were taunting me. Uh, they were like, oh, we just saw your wife and kids. And I, I was confused. I'm like, what? What do you mean? They're like, oh, we saw them. Yeah. And like they were in my face, like trying to get me to do something. And I was like, all right, man, you know, okay, I'm going home. Um, and it, it was just stuff like that. I mean, even when they came and arrested me at the TBI clinic, they arrested me on September 11th. That was done on purpose. They knew that day meant a lot to me. Um, it means a lot to a lot of the people serving in the military that have been doing this job. And they purposely used that day to come get me to see if I'd snap, see if I'd do something back. Um, you know, while I was in the brig, they were uh, telling the guards in the brig to make me snap. Um, my commands and NCIS were coming in, having meetings with the guards, being like, hey, make him snap, make him do something so we can point the finger and be like, see, he is crazy. So I would, I got extra special treatment while I was locked up. They would strip search me. Um, they would toss my cell. They would, you know, randomly just, just fuck with me all the time. Um, and, you know, all the other prisoners saw it. Uh, they were like, this is ridiculous. And they even had the prosecution even had other prisoners, like they were um, talking to them, like, hey, if you get something on him, get him to say something and we'll, we'll uh, lessen your sentence. Of course, I had respect for most of the prisoners in there. So they were coming up to me telling me these things like, hey, your prosecution is trying to get us to get you to say something. It was all one big, like, disgusting game, uh, which thank God I knew it. Um, you know, I had couple prisoners or a couple guards that were uh were cool with me that were telling me exactly what was going on so i just knew i had to keep my my composure in there and just not let it bother me but of course on the inside i was i was fuming <laughs> yeah i i can only i can only imagine um you know and as i was listening you know to the book i'm thinking in my own mind of it what what's everyone's you know breaking point in, in me you know mentioning i've had a a temper. I'm I'm very um, protective of friends and, and family and you know children things like that. And I'm like, that would have been a tough one to hold. I, I mean, eventually you snap, right? And there's nothing. I mean, you can't. When you say snap, people don't understand. When you snap, that means it doesn't matter anymore, and you've lost your shit and you black out. Yeah. That everybody's got that, you know, somewhere in them. You know, some people obviously a little bit more than others, but yeah, I mean, good on you because you went through. I mean, as I listen to the book, I'm like, fuck, I don't know if I could have done that. I don't think I, I don't think I have the restraint. Like some of the things that I had listened to that I would imagine you were having to go into a deep state of state of meditation or something to put up with that shit. Cause you would do a workout or, or something that was legal the week before they'd see you doing it and then they would change the rules so you couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was is that what correct? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I, so like uh, I would do uh, a workout in my cell uh, in the morning, usually some like burpee challenge or whatever, something I could do um, in there. So if the guards saw me working out, literally the next day they'd be like, hey, if you work out again in your cell, we're going to throw you in solitary. Uh, and then I'd be like, okay, what's – and I literally would like reason with them like, why am I not allowed to work out? And they're like, you just can't. Um, and I – and then I'd be like, okay, well, that's what's helping me stay mentally sane in here is I need to work out. I need to do something. And they, their answer was, uh, go to the psych and get some drugs and that'll help everybody. in Because that fixes everything. Yeah. Everybody in there is, drug, <laughs> is like medicated. Um, and they want them that way. Uh, they want them all drugged out. Um, so it's, they just sit there and drool on themselves. Uh, but I refused. I was like, I'm not going to take any medications. Um, so I, I, st I mean, I fought back in ways and, you know, I still worked out. I still uh, made time in there. Um, it, it was a game, though. I had to do it at certain times when certain guards weren't there. Uh, but, you know, stuff like that kept me busy. Uh, it, it kept me sort of playing the game um, where I was like, OK, I'm going to get one up on you guys. I'm going to do what I want, but I'm going to do it my way. Uh, but, yeah, it was it was frustrating uh, to go through that. But, you know, like like I said before, you can. I mean, I, I like, I like you have a, I have a temper as well. Uh, when, you know, and when I, when I snap, it's like, you better stand by. Um, cause it takes me a lot to get to that point, but once it happens, it happens. Uh, but I knew, you know, my wife, my brother, 
and all everybody that was supporting me were out there fighting for me. And I was like, dude, if I do something in here to compromise what they're doing on the outside, that's going to be on me. So I had to keep that composure. I was like, I'm not going to ruin anything these people are doing for me on the outside. Um, so I just, you know, I had that in mind the whole time. And I just, uh, you know, I took what they, what they gave me. I was like, all right, you know, and just with a, a smile on my face, like you guys, this is ridiculous, but you're not going to get a reaction out of me. So I, to, from what I've read, um, you would probably still be locked up if it wasn't for your wife and your brother. Uh, is that a, a fair assessment? Um, that is I mean, it sounds like you yeah. <laughs> it sounds like she's a rock star as well as, as well as he is. So Dude, she is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Like my, my, my lawyers, um, they learned real quick that my wife is no joke and they called her the nickname when she was the nuclear option. Um, they went like when the press would come out, especially after the trial, like we'd walk out every day and the press would be out there shouting questions. And of course, you know, I kept my mouth shut. My lawyers would do most of the talking, but they knew they, they gave my wife the microphone. Like she was going to drop some knowledge and some truth on everybody. Um, and so that every once in a while they're like, all right, yeah, let her speak. And what was, it was crazy to watch her, uh, do that because she had, it's, she has nothing planned out. She does it straight from the heart, you know, and was like, this is what's going on. Um, but she, she has a very, uh, commanding presence, um, which I've always known, uh, being married to her, but it was, it was really a blessing to like be able to watch her do this and let the world, like the, show the world exactly who she is and how, how awesome and amazing. Uh, didn't they bring up that you were, there was like domestic violence issues, which was totally fabricated oh, dude, as well. Yeah. So this, that was, uh, you know, I put this in the book. It was probably one of the worst days uh, of this whole thing. So when I first got locked up, um, they, they locked me up for no reason. And I can't stress that enough. They literally just were like, Hey, we got orders to throw you in the break. Uh, and so once they threw me in there, they, they have a, um, it's called an IRO hearing. And that's like, uh, it's a little hearing to see whether you belong in prison or they can let you out. Um, and so they, it's like this is so it's informal. It's like in a little office, they have a, uh, officer they find on base to, to act as the judge. Um, he comes in and that was the first time I had ever seen the prosecution. Uh, they, they walked in. And I had, I had no clue what was going on. Like, this is, this is all new to me. And I'm like, what is, you know, what is this? Like, who's the prosecution? Why are they doing this? I was asking all sorts of questions. Uh, but these guys got up and literally called me everything from a drug mule. Uh, they said I, I was muling drugs from Mexico. Um, they said that I beat my wife, uh, that I was a fake Christian. Uh, I mean, they, they attacked my character in such ways where I was like, how can they like, how are they saying it? How are they able to say this? And where are they getting this from? And the lawyer I had at the time looked at me and was like, this is normal. This is what they do. Uh, and the judge was like, all right, well, we're not letting them out. And that was it. Uh, there's really no, there's no way to combat that. Uh, you know, it's, they went through my phone. The way <laughs> They went through my phone. And because I had gone to a wedding, one of my best friend's wedding in Mexico with my wife, they just use that as like, oh, you were in Mexico? Well, you must have been doing drugs. No, no, <laughs> nothing else. No evidence that, but they can just say those things. Uh, and of course, by the time we got to trial, none of that, they brought, none of that was brought up because there was nothing behind them. Uh, but that's what they needed to say to keep me in prison at the time. No, that's, that is, that is crazy. And again, I, I encourage everyone to, to get the book on Audible. Um, it goes into, much greater depth and detail of, of what we're talking about. I didn't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to throw yeah. out spoilers. Cause you know, when I, again, when I had listened to it, I had a fairly good grasp of um, the actual story, not really one side or the other. Uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I had stories from guys in the community that had, uh, that knew you and, and were like, yeah, you know, like to bring it up that you were an asshole and buds instructor. Every every guy I knew in your community were like, "What buds instructor isn't an asshole? That's their job." <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So, what when when they were saying like, um, 
maybe some of the guys under you, you were their buds instructors when all this went down, they were holding that against you. Um, you know, there a lot of those things were brought into good context to me as all of this went on. So when I listened to the book, it was like, okay, this is pretty much what I've heard for the last, you know, whatever, 16, 18 months was exactly what I was, was listening into in the book, which was cool. Um, and now I will say the, the one thing I had heard that you had said in the book was you did technically stab the guy, but you were confirming he was dead. You didn't stab him deep into the lungs. You just popped him in the chest to confirm because he had blast lung. Yeah. And all, I mean, he was dying anyway, right? Yeah. So, I mean, at the, we, we treated that guy with, uh, well, you treated him. That's something else everybody's forgetting. You administered treatment on him. Yeah. I mean, we did a cryo his airway. <laughs> uh, we did two, you know, two chest tubes were done. I mean, the guy was dying. The, the bottom line is that the guy was brought back to us. He was on death's door. Um, and the Iraqis, the partner force that we were with, uh, they were going to chop him up or like mutilate him in some way, which is what they were doing through the whole deployment. Uh, we pretty much were like, hey, we'll. Well, we got him. We'll just let him sort of pass peacefully, you know, through medical treatments. Um, and that's what he ended up doing that. And so at the end, uh, after he had passed, I had walked up and was like, hey, is he dead? And the, the other medic was like, yeah, I think so. And we just did some uh, dead checks on him. I mean, he flicked his eyeball and then uh, I took a knife out and poked him in the side uh, to see if there was any, any movement. I didn't break skin. I didn't like stab him. I just jabbed him in the side and there was, you know, he was dead. There was no movement. And that was like the only time a knife was even used or, uh, within the situation. Uh, but you know, all of that, they, these guys decided to take that incident and twist it into their own, into their own story. And it just didn't, I mean, it was crazy to watch them do it. Then I knew I was like, this isn't going to pan out for you guys at the end because you told so many lies. Uh, you can't keep up with them. Well, yeah. And I mean, obviously I, you know, my, my wife had listened to the book and I had explained to her, I said, honestly, honey, and, and she's gotten into hunting. One of the things you go up to an animal is you flick it in the eye, uh, you know, poke it with something, to, you know, cause there's a reaction. Like if I'm faking dead and you poke me in the side with a knife, I'm not going to just lay there and, and shake that shit off. Like you're going to show a movement. Yeah. And I had heard that story a long time ago of like, you know, that yep they're just giving him what same thing you said dead checks and so the one thing that was crazy to me is they had footage that would have exonerated you from a what do they call it a raven or a crow or some type of whatever flying around filming shit right so um a drone from a helmet cam actually so one of the other medics um he had filmed the whole thing uh beginning to end the treatments um exactly guy and so this guy, he, he was one of the accusers. What he did is he turned, and I still don't know to this day if he had given the whole video to NCIS or if they deleted it. Um, they left that one little section, which is me, me walking up with a med bag and treating the guy. Um, and then all of a sudden the camera shuts us off. And we brought that up in court. We're like, where's the rest of this film? I was like, I want to, this needs to be shown because it exonerates me. And of course, the prosecution and NCIS were like, man, eh, we don't, you know, we don't have it. So, and I, I, I truly believe that they did have it. They just knew it exonerated me. So they hit it. Um, cause that's how devious they were being up at that point. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy story. And, and, and I don't want to keep you on here for, you know, for forever. I, I, I do encourage people to uh, check out uh, Eddie's social media page. Definitely download the book. I would say, though, pay the fuck attention when you download it, because when you're listening to it and you're like, oh, that I couldn't have happened. It sounds like it happened. Right. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was I had to rewind portions. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. And I would, you know, hit back for, you know, like six or seven <laughs> times to go, you know, back three minutes and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, no, that's exactly what he said. Holy. I mean, it was an eye opener yeah. because the reality is, is it can happen to anyone and 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 when i say that meaning the text messages are digging deep like somebody goes through my text messages i don't even know what i send half the time i send a thousand texts a day and i say okay i'm a goofy guy i say all kinds of you know goofy <laughs> shit so and they held all of that against oh, yeah you. yeah they i mean any text i sent out and that's 
that's the crazy thing, man. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely more aware nowadays. I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to text, you know, but what I'm thinking or like even joking or, uh, because like I saw how this was used against me uh, before I'm very careful with what I say, but at the same time, I'm like, you shouldn't have to live your life. Like, like you should be able to text what you want. You should be able to joke with your friends. Uh, but you know, it's, it's an unfortunate circumstance that, uh, that happened and how they, they pretty much used all this stuff against me to ruin my, ruin my character. Uh, but you know, I, I tell people <clears throat> as crazy as this whole experience is, um, I wouldn't take it back for anything, man. Um, uh, you know, people are like, Oh, would you do your 20 years over again? Even knowing that this would happen at the end, I'd be like, yeah. Um, you know, this had to happen for a reason, dude. It, it shined a light on just how corrupt the UCM pay system is. It shined a light on, you know, the leadership of NSW and just how politicized they are now, um, how they'll hang their own out to dry. Um, and I'm hoping that, like, the book can be used as an after-action report for, for leaders in the military so this doesn't happen to somebody again. Um, because it really is just, it's a huge black eye on the Navy. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's crazy to see to this day that they are still refusing to uh, say that they made a mistake. Uh, they're like, no, you know, they, they still smear my name, uh, you know, especially up in the, up the officer ranks. Um, but I'm hoping, you know, the more that the truth comes out, uh, the more people that read this book, that it sort of uh, opens people's eyes into, you know, just how uh, the military is not a perfect system, um, you know, and there's good and bad people uh, in, in the Navy um, and people, you know, wield their power. Uh, in the wrong way sometimes. Gotcha. Well, definitely uh, it's called The Man in the Arena. Check that out. And then, uh, Eddie, what's your, your social media page? I, I know that you, you're posting things frequently and infrequently on there. Um, I don't know if you want to grow your, your Insta-famous status, but uh, what what is your, your page? Uh, yeah, it's uh, just Eddie underscore Gallagher uh, on Instagram. Um, and then, you know, my wife also is Andrea Gallagher. She's we sort of... Uh, more together on Instagram. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's the only social media site I have. Um, and then I also have, I have, uh, the Eddie Gallagher.com. Um, we started up on a website, so we're, you know, it shows everything that we're involved in right now, uh, especially, uh, with our, uh, nonprofit that we started, um, the Piper foundation, um, which we started that pretty much the, right when I had the trial ended. And, uh, you know, what, what we do is we help, Active duty, uh, active duty members, first responders, and law enforcement. If they're put into situations like mine, um, it doesn't have to be as dire as mine is, but we we will then uh, fund their legal you know, legal defense, um, provide emergency relief funds to the family as they're going through these stressful situations, um, and also advocate for them as well. Um, so it's been it's been going really well. We've been we've been helping out uh, a lot of you know a lot of police officers. Uh, especially this last year uh, with everything that went on. We were helping them out. The, you know, guys that were getting charged uh, unlawfully. Um, and we also helped, we've helped out a lot of uh, SEALs as well so far because, uh, you know, my case is not uh, abnormal. It, the only reason mine got so much uh, attention was because I was a SEAL, because I had to try that, because it made sexy headlines. But the, Stuff like this happens to service members all the time. And so that's what I saw when I was locked up in the brig. And I was like, you know what? We can't just move forward after this and not do anything. We have to help these people out. And that's why we started the uh, nonprofit. Gotcha. Well, and I guess we can, we can hop on uh, your, your website and, and buy a free Eddie t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, uh, my, we uh, re, redid those for the, um, for the book coming out. Uh, because they were uh, so popular when everything was going on. Um, we decided to relaunch those with the book. And then I'm also, I uh, work with uh, Redcon One, which is a supplement company. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm really big into fitness. So I ended up uh, attaching with them. Uh, Aaron Singerman, who owns Redcon One, is a phenomenal human being. Uh, so, I, you know, we promote his, his stuff. And then uh, I also work with uh, Nine Line apparel i do t-shirts through them as well 
cool. Well, everybody, uh, check that stuff out. Um, Eddie, I, I can't thank you enough for, for hopping on here. I know you've got a, a crazy schedule and I, I'm glad things worked out the way they, they did. Like I said, I had heard about your, your history and what you had done for the country far before the, the book. So, um, man, I'm, I'm glad you're able to spend time with your family and, and hop on this podcast and hopefully, everybody get to get the book be an eye-opener learn what not to do don't text your friends any dumb shit if you're uh it might get somebody else might read it but uh but man thank you so much for coming on no man thank you for having me brother this is a great conversation man it's good uh glad, I, glad we got to do this cool sounds good well if you need anything from us let us know anytime and uh maybe we'll get you get, get you on again down the road so thanks again for sure brother take it easy man you too Later.